0: Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're actually still in First Peter. Uh, I know you thought we were done, but we're not quite done. I'm going to wrap a few things up. The book of First Peter really uh, resonated with me as we were going through it. Um, and I was trying to think of why that really um, was so for me. And, and I don't know if it was for you or not. But um, the idea of being exiled, of this not being home, of um, feelings of not fitting in, of being different, of waiting for something else. Uh, Those all kind of really resonated with me. And uh, so this morning what I want to do is I want to talk about uh, how we keep our identity, again, uh, in this exile. I want to remind us of a few things as we move out of 1 Peter Um, I'm wrestling uh, internally a little bit this morning and just kind of making this a little personal, so I'm going to share some things. Um, Unlike uh, a former pastor, actually, when I say don't share things, I'd rather them not shared. But but I'm sharing this, so uh, um, remind me not to share things with Frank. Frank, if you could plug your ears right now. In 2017, um, so a few years back, um, I was um, chose to uh, visit a nutritionist after my doctor recommended it in 2016. That's about how long it took me to uh, actually obey his advice. And uh, when I was seeing the nutritionist, nutritionist, um, she said, uh, Dave, you are messed up, and you need some real counseling. Uh, and I, I don't think that's what she said, but that's what I heard. Um, I think she said it a lot nicer than that. Um, But I underwent some counseling, and if you remember, in 2017, we were going through an assessment. Uh, There was a lot of things going on in our church, and I started having some issues with anxiety, which I had never had before. And uh, so I went through some counseling. Um, And I stopped that at the end of 2017, because I needed to pay for the counseling I'd already done, and I wanted to get back to the nutrition thing, so I took a little break and haven't been back since. Um, which obviously I still need to do. Uh, Thank you for pointing that out. Um, But as I was uh, debriefing with my wife with some of the things that we had talked about, um, and I'm sometimes a little abrupt, we were at dinner, and I said to my wife, I don't feel like, I said, I don't think I've ever felt like I belonged, which my wife's face kind of panicked for a minute. I said, oh, not not in our marriage or anything like that. Like, (laughs) we're good. (laughs) Um, but in life, I, I said I've never felt like I belonged to a group or a church, um, and uh, and so we were just kind of talking through that why I never felt like um, I belonged. And I, I moved around a lot as a kid, and there was all sorts of you know I can you know say all these different things you know I was kind of a middle class kid in a in a affluent. High school, you know, if, if you were ever one of those kids, you kind of know that you dress differently or whatever, you know, or, or wearing the same shirt every week when the other kids aren't or whatever it is. And so I always kind of felt like just a little bit feeling like I, I didn't belong. And as we come into 1 Peter, I, I kind of felt like Peter was saying that. I kind of felt like he was saying, we don't always feel like we belong because this isn't our home. And I'm not asking you to understand all my uh, messed up things. I know you don't want to know that, that your pastor is messed up. But um, the reality is, what I'm hearing from more and more Christians is that they don't feel like the church that they grew up in is the same church. And they, they don't feel like they belong. It, or or they, don't, they don't feel the same about it. And... and uh, and I feel like sometimes I'm like in the in-between of those discussions. And here's a stupid one, and I just, just to give you an example. There, I could give you a hundred, but this one shouldn't offend anybody. Um, you know, uh, the, the generation that's been around church for a while, we used to do these uh, photo directories and church directories, and we used to set them on the back, and people would go get the directory, and they would call people and different things like that. And I'm just telling you, the younger generation didn't grow up with white pages where everybody had their phone number. And they don't really want their information handed out. And so I have two generations that are frustrated with me at the same time. I have a group of people that are shaking their fists going, we haven't got a directory! And I have another group of people who say, stop giving people my phone number! And I, we also live in a very small community here where actually if you wanted somebody's phone number, you could ask them for it. Call me crazy. And so I'm in the, between these discussions constantly. Our world is changing. Um, there was this, uh, David and I had this long uh, back and forth this week of whether I would show this video, and I chose not to, Um And it was a video from the Ellen Show, which I'm not watching Ellen all the time. I know this was my second illustration on Ellen. (laughs) But on the Ellen Show, it came up in my news feed. She had this 17-year-old come up, and they had a contest. She made up contest in Ellen's head. And the contest was the 17-year-old had to fold an old map, find a phone number in the yellow pages, and call it on a rotary phone. Now I'm just telling you it was hilarious. <laughs> in fairness to the poor 17-year-old girl, I could never fold those those maps either. They never went back the same way. Right? My glove box when you opened it, you know, when I was 16, it just kind of went, you know, kind of flew out of there. And she could not find something in the yellow pages. I'm sorry. Ellen finally gave her the number and she dialed it on the rotary phone using her hand like this. And then she finished the number and picked up the. <laughs> now, David felt I was picking on. So, in fairness to her, let's picture here. You see all this stuff up here? There is a game console. There is calculators, day planners, phones, cameras, music, compass, clocks. All that stuff is on our phone. All of it. This girl's never had to look something up in the yellow pages because she speaks to her phone and it gives her the number. Now, look, it's not nostalgia. One is not better than the other. But come on, those of us who have used a rotary phone. Okay, first of all, I can still remember my phone number. Okay, and it had an eight in it. Add a nine in it. (laughs) Look, things are different. But none of those things are essential. Now, I have... Okay, let's take this off before we're over. Look, I have a phone that does all that stuff. And I'm not like some of you who, you know, are kind of afraid of all that stuff or don't want to use it. But I'm still right in the middle where I can't wait for my kids to get here for Thanksgiving because I can't get my podcast lined up the way it should be. And I don't know which, you know, can you fix this for me? So there's this anxiety that we deal with in a fast-changing society. And there's this anxiety that we have sometimes as followers of Jesus in this church thing that's changing. And usually the things that we're bothered by are not doctrinal. They're traditional. And some of the things that we are shaking our fist at didn't even exist in the early church. They would be like, you're having a what- you missed the Wednesday night? What? We prayed every night. You had to get up for communion? We were Our communion was a meal. I mean, just everything is different. And so I want to just think through this idea where Peter is reminding us that we aren't living in a time where everything should feel comfortable. So 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm just going to read the first 12 verses. We're going to talk about a lot of these different things. And I want to go back over these words, chosen, exiled, and scattered and prepared. And if, if, if I had to break this up just kind of in a practical way, when we look at chosen and exiled, we're talking about who we are in Christ. And when we think about chosen and prepared, we're talking about how we live for Christ. So who we are in Christ and how that works its way out in how we live. So Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. remember it, Peter is grabbing a hold of language from the Old Testament. The people that, that Peter is writing to are not literally exiles. he's inviting them in to this biblical metaphor of, of what it looks like what, when Israel was exiled and Abraham was exiled and He is saying that now we are of this group of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ, the Messiah in them, was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In these things you have now in, these, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Now, chosen. He describes this of those who are elect or chosen, exiles. And he says this because we have been chosen in in verse 3, because he has caused us to be born again. God caused us to be born again. Now, for most of us, this theme of being born again is something that we heard growing up. Some people referred to born-againers or different things, and so maybe it's a term uh, that is familiar to you. But remember, even the religious leaders didn't quite understand it. Nicodemus pulls Jesus aside, and Jesus said, unless you're born of you know, flesh and spirit, this whole thing, and Nicodemus is like, what am I supposed to re-enter my mother's womb? Like, how, how is this? And Jesus doesn't say, oh, I understand, this is a difficult concept for you. He says, how can you be a teacher and not understand this. And and one of the things that happens is all through the Old Testament, when Israel fails and they end up in exile, they are reminded by the prophets that one is going to come who is going to give you a new heart. That there's, there's a new way of living coming that happens with an absolute change, And God is causing that to happen, and we are born again to a living hope. To a living hope. I'm just using Peter's words here to remind you that we have a hope that is alive. We have a hope that rose from the dead. We have a hope that is eternal. And he says that this living hope is going to bring for us an inheritance. Now sometimes when life is challenging, when the bills are piling up, maybe it's just me, but sometimes you go to the mailbox and you think, maybe today's the day. That that inheritance check that I had no idea was coming is coming. And as I walk to the mailbox, I begin to think about how I would spend it. It's a fun little procedure. I don't buy lottery tickets very often, if ever. And so this is my little walk of dreaming. I would pay off this bill, and I'd pay off that bill. And then I start getting into the cars and think about which car I would buy, which one I could drive up to the church without having you guys look too much at it. Gonna have to be a Honda because that's about all that you know Baptist can handle, so I'm working through it. <laughs> but all the time, we're reminded that we have an inheritance that is rich and good and eternal in the person of Jesus Christ. And one of the things, as Peter explains this at the beginning, he is saying, look, yeah, things are hard now and suffering, but it is temporal. That's the point of the inheritance. Whatever you're going through now is temporal. He also says in verse 5 that this is a guarded faith, which is good to remember that God is in this process of helping guard our faith. But what we looked at and reminded of often in 1 Peter is that it is a tested faith that we are undergoing trials and difficulties, and when they come, we shouldn't be surprised. Now, it would be much nicer if God's word says, man, you should be surprised by difficulties because God wants everything to go well for you. But instead, the Bible says you shouldn't be surprised by difficulties. And it's not that God doesn't love you, it's that he is refining you and molding you into his image, and the world is against this. And so there is going to be testing. All right, so we're chosen because he caused us to be born again and also because you love God and believe in him. Verse 8 is just a great verse there in the chapter. Though you have not seen him, none of us have seen Jesus, yet you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And I know that many of you are going through Physical and emotional and spiritual and financial difficulties, and then somehow we get together on Sunday morning, and it's amazing how many people are singing with joy. That's an amazing thing. Now, some of you haven't known joy in so many years, you wouldn't know it if it hits you in the face. But there's a point in where we are overwhelmed with what God has done with us, not our circumstances. what God is doing through us, not our circumstances. how much God loves us. And then the other piece and why you have come to faith is we're reminded that somebody preached to you. Somebody came, somebody, whether it's family member or pastor or friend. Neighbors, somebody at some point in time shared Christ with you. And we're reminded of the need for that process. So I said I was struggling with this feeling of not fitting in, not belonging. And so for me, I do things by study and uh, writing and I've been working on this idea of reminding us what we do, sharing, what I do belong to. I belong to a group of people who were created in the image of God. I belong to a group of people who were cast out of the garden because of sin. I belong to a group of people that are loved by God and God is pursuing I belong to a group of people who um, have placed their faith in the Messiah and are being molded and shaped into his image. I belong to the bride of Christ. And my identity can't be on what I wear, where I live, what groups I hang out with, what church I belong to, how many people are here. My identity must be in who I am in Christ. And so we're reminded of this idea of being chosen into the family of God. Now, I need to pick this up a little bit. We're exiled. Um, this idea of being exiled, this reality is seen in history. Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden. Israel was exiled on more than one occasion. Even Jesus was exiled. In chapter 2, we, we are reminded that um, this Jesus, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. But the stone was rejected. They, they didn't want it. They said, take it away. We also have seen this reality and experience. And I opened up this series by sharing a few things from the book Faith for the Moment by Rick McKinley, who who pastors uh, uh, Imago Day in Portland, and he's written this great book on this idea. And and one of the things that he was saying is that many people in the church are feeling a loss of identity. They They don't see that identity, and not the identity that we're talking about in Christ, but the identity of being a Christian, isn't the same as it used to be. There's a loss of place. They feel that uh, the church doesn't have the same prominence or position uh, that it did when they were growing up, and where the church used to have a place in society, it doesn't always have that place, and they feel the loss of that. Uh, I always joke about my feeling of loss of place. Uh, I'm just a few years too old to experience the free. The pastors play free at the golf courses on Monday. Uh, that place no longer exists. Every town I've moved into, somebody in the church has said, hey, I think the pastors play free on Monday at such and such a course. And every time I go there, they say, yeah, we used to do that. But, but the church used to have a bigger voice, maybe, in society. And the last thing he said was that there was a loss of practice And that's what I want to emphasize today. And um, I think that we've lost the idea of how the church, and by church I don't mean the organization, I mean the people, the body of Christ, is to operate. And how we were to operate was very clear to me as a young person growing up in the church. Um, And it was very clear um, that we uh, should avoid alcohol and drugs, Uh, That we should avoid uh, uh, the opposite sex at all costs. And more than anything, if we love Jesus, we shouldn't dance. (laughs) I was very clear what it meant to be a Christian growing up. Uh, We believe certain things and we don't do certain things. And the reality is those things were often identified, uh, a Christian was often identified by what they don't do, which we saw in Peter as well. And so we, we are losing the idea of what it means to, to practice being a follower of Jesus, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. There's a tension behind that loss. and We're not fully home, yet we, need, we, need it. we all have a desire to be home. right? We, we all have a desire to feel at home. We leave between two realities, two worldviews that are constantly battling. We're called to be exiles in Peter, And that we're also called to be change agents in our society. And those seem to be opposite to me. An exile seems to hide. We don't really look to exiles to go, what should we do differently? But yet, Bible calls us both. So what I want to talk about this morning is some rhythms in exile. And these rhythms do at least three things. If we have certain rhythms, they help us preserve our identity. Um, there are certain religions that I can just look at somebody on the street of Portland, and I go, "Oh, they're a okay." I'm. So, I mean, and and I can tell that person's probably Muslim or from the Middle East, right? Because of dress, I, I can I can tell somebody is a Mormon, right? If they have a bicycle and name tag and wearing a tie. Um, I can easily recognize the Jehovah's Witnesses that, that witness over here in front of Starbucks every day. They're easily recognized. I can look at them. I can recognize them. I don't know who the believers are. I can't, I can't, we don't look any different. And so and I, these rhythms help us preserve our identity, but they also help us proclaim our identity. There are, there's something about the identity that we want other people to see. We want to be able to proclaim it. And in those identity markers, as we're trying to preserve them and proclaim them, it helps us sustain them over a long period of time. Now, these things that I am going to bring out in Scattered and Prepared, these rhythms or practices I think I put on your notes that help us keep our identity. um, I have five of them. Yeah, five. And um, they're really basic. But I think that we're losing them a little bit. And so I want to emphasize them. So five ways that we live as scattered people, okay? We're scattered. And then in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says that we're prepared to give everybody an answer. So what I've said is there's somewhere between being scattered and people going, how is it that you're sustaining differently than I am in this culture? And so here are some things that might help people see that we are walking with Jesus. And I'm going to challenge you a little bit and push back a little bit. Number one, it should be centered on Scripture, not tradition. It should be centered on Scripture, not tradition. And I want to give you a few examples here. Um, When we were doing the uh, Old Testament uh, in our Bible reading, uh, we've had some some tough reading here uh, as we've been going through the Kings and Chronicles. And and for those of you who are sticking with it, um, good job. Um, but when we were in 2 Kings, you know, sometimes you're hearing these, these stories and some of the things that stuck out, stuck out to me is I loved reading about the kings that were the reformers. And one of them was Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, they find some books of the law and they, Hezekiah reads it and it's reported to us that they practiced Passover for the first time in Hezekiah's reign that goes all the way back to the time of the judges. Now here's something that God commanded the people of Israel to do every year. Here's something kind of interesting. Um, In the creation account, um, it uses this term that he created the, the sun, moon, and stars for the seasons, and it's the same word in the Hebrew that's used when he talks about the different feasts and offerings. In other words, like from the creation point, God had in mind these practices, these, these festivals that would keep all these things kind of moving together. And, and, and the, it's supposed to start with Passover. And they just stopped doing it. And I thought to myself, really? Like, King David never read and said, hey, we're not practicing? Solomon never said? How does the People of God forget one of the commands. Somehow traditions come and go. Sometimes traditions of going to the temple overrode these other things. And then the other one that got to me is when we got to Josiah's reform. That one really shocked me. And Josiah, he goes through the reforming things and it says, he removed the articles of Baal and Ashram from the temple how did the Asherim poles get into the temple? And then it says he disposed of the prophets of Baal that they ordained. Wow, that's a reform. How is it that things slip into, I'm just going to use the word church here, without us recognizing it over time? So, we need to be centered on scripture not tradition. So we need to read the word of God. We need to listen to it as we're reading and as it's being preached we need to listen to it and then we need to wrestle with it and respond. Now I've been in Bible studies all my life. And One of the things that we are doing way too often, church, listen, if you're in a Bible study, ever been in a Bible study, please don't do this. We read a passage, and then we will tell everybody in the room what it means based on what we've always done or what the author of our study Bible has said in the margins. Let's just talk about God's word and wrestle with it a little bit. Now, here's an example, and I'm not complaining. Somebody asked me this morning, it was a great conversation, um, about dress in church, specifically me. And I I get that. And here's the thing. Um, Some of you grew up in a tradition where the pastor wore a suit and tie. Some of you grew up in a tradition where the pastor wore a robe. Some of you grew up in in a tradition where he had a special collar. I don't know of any others. There's probably a few in there. If you go to church in the South, the pastor is probably decked out. If you go to church in Southern California, the pastor is wearing a Hawaiian shirt and flip-flops. And the Bible does not address any of those. But there is a principle in the Bible that we give God our best. And so I have been told we give God our best, therefore we dress the best we can on Sunday morning. There's also principles in the New Testament that we don't flaunt our wealth. you see how those principles, we could have a debate about which is which. Is which. And, and so one of the reasons why private schools have uniforms was so that no kids feel like they're not, right? What if we had uniforms in church? He said, we did. We had a suit, and you're not wearing one. (laughs) That's not how it works. But do you see how our traditions define it instead of our discussion about what the Bible actually says? And so what I'm saying is, we should be able to wrestle with Scripture. Instead of just read and then repeat what we already know and carry on, we need to actually discuss it. And, And that's a struggle for some people. Second, another rhythm is that we need to be centered on people, not programs. And it's just the concept of loving. And in chapter 1, verse 22, uh, we have this, his movement in this book, as we went through it, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, not to the tradition, for a sincere, uh, uh, for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from the heart, And then in chapter 3, he talks about, and we're going to look at it in a second, this idea of being a blessing to other people. So there's love for people in the church and love for people outside the church. And the idea is that believers, we need to be centered more on people, not programs. And we've defined ourselves as churches by programs for a long time. And I get calls. And then they they go through the programs. Do you have, you know, uh, Sunday school? Do you have Juana's? Do you have... um, uh, there's so many others. Now, those are the two that more, more of us are tradition with, but uh, so many different ones. And over the years, do you do the Sunday evening service? Do you have, I mean, all these things, do you have prayer group on Wednesday? Night? One time in my church, another church, I, I started a prayer group and we had it on Tuesday nights. I had somebody who wouldn't come because the prayer group was not on Wednesday night. Do you understand? <laughs> That's a tradition. So look, we, we don't define success by programs. What God has called us to do is to be with people. And in the first sermon in this series, I shared with you in the application part uh, an article that I had read, and it said, emulate cross cultural strategies. And three ways that we emulate cross cultural strategies for people is love the people where you are, who's around you. And then, if you really want to love people, enter into their worlds, go to them, go to their places. Now I, I thought about this this morning, and I'm just picking uh, uh, him just because we most of us know who he is. Not all of us, but Rod is one of the missionaries we support. And I this is so funny because I th- this is the far opposite of Rod. But let's say Rod came and he shared with us. We've been supporting him all year, and Rod says, "Well, we've been trying to do missions in Côte d'Ivoire, but the people just have different values." And so we've separated ourselves from them because their values don't match our values. And, um, you know, quite honestly, some of them are Muslim and some of them, um, some of them still worship the idols from their childhood upbringing. And so uh, we've just separated ourselves because we don't... We, I hope somebody in the congregation would be like, isn't that what we're supporting you to do? But how many of us will separate ourselves from people who need to know Jesus because their values are different than ours? Look, if you want to find somebody who matches your values identically, that's actually a pretty small group when you really get down to it. Because we can't even agree on chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry ice cream at a church event, (laughs) pie or cake. So we need to begin to think about how we go to people rather than waiting for them to come to us. Most of you grew up, a lot of you in this room grew up in a point where there was one Baptist church in town, or usually two Baptist churches because they can never get along, and then there was one, you know, Pentecostal church, and there was one Nazarene church, and, one, and so when people moved to town, they just went to their flavor. That doesn't happen anymore. People aren't moving into town, listen to this, people are not moving into town opening up the yellow pages and looking for Baptists. And so we need to somehow go to them. And I would remind you that our whole focus of Advent is that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is our entire Advent sermon right here for four weeks. Don't worry, don't panic. But what does that mean, that Jesus came to us? And some of us have a bigger list of who can't be in our life anymore than who can be in our life. Third, I think our lives, our rhythms need to be centered on being a blessing to other people, not getting a blessing. It's, it's an idea of generosity. Um, and in chapter three, it just really kind of hit me. Uh, chapter three, where were we? Um, excuse me, verses three and following. Don't let your uh, adorning—that's um, not right. Yeah, further on. Hmm. I am, I am lost in my own my own sermon here. I thought I checked all these. Uh, Chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, let me read those. Finally, all of you in mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, humble mind, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. I never really, I don't know if that caught you, like you've been called to bless. You've been called to do that. Some people say, I don't know what my calling is. Well, there's one right there. You're called to bless. Um, and so, I, and I, I just personally, I grew up in church. And uh, um, man, sometimes people's lives seem like they have it all together. I found out later that they didn't. Um, but I just, boy, God's really blessing them. God's really blessing them. And I, I think that part of me was waiting for that season to come in my life. And then what I'm supposed to be doing is blessing other people. And we need to kind of embrace a, 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 cro- a countercultural lifestyle. And I shared this again in the first sermon, but the world that we live in is very individualistic. One way that you can be a blessing to other people is invite them into community with you. Our, our world is very alone. And we, need to, we can invite them into community with us the The world that we live into, uh, it, you know, it's always fun this time of season because people love to give, and that's great, and, and it's wonderful. But primarily, we're 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 pretty greedy people. Um, historically, giving in churches lowest percentage. Uh, we find that actually, the more you make, studies show. Sorry, just not me, not studies I have done on you, just general studies. Studies show the more somebody makes, the less percentage of their income they give. You'd think it would be the other way around. Um, we live in a, in a very greedy society. Show them great generosity. Show great generosity. It's countercultural to be generous. The world we live in is very fast-paced. Um, slow down. I just The Bible Project just did this, is doing this whole series on, on Sabbath. I've learned so much about the Sabbath. But at the core of the Sabbath is this idea that, and we don't live in a culture where most of us don't live in a, you know, where we're out planting and harvesting, and you've got to get those, we don't, And so the idea of stopping for a day, of actually taking a Sabbath, is I'm going to trust that if I don't go out in the field, that you're still going, there's still going to be a harvest. And if you remember Israel's, we don't know whether they actually ever got to it, but in Israel's, there was actually a year, a year. Now, there's even debates on that. Was it just part of the grant? Like, did they rotate that year? Or was like one farm off for a whole year? But there's a whole point of just being able to go, you know what? (laughs) I know some of you are going, that's not me, but you're getting dangerously close to it. The world is not going to stop spinning if you don't do it. The world is not going to fall apart if you don't show up one day. And part of Sabbath is saying, you know what? I'm going to rest and I'm going to believe that God is sovereign and in control. And I'm telling you, there's so many people that are waiting for you to slow down so they can overtake you. And one of the your things you're saying is, I'm going to trust that God is in control. Those are just some ideas of, of being countercultural. Fourth, centered on reconciliation, not relocation. Um, as you're looking at this idea of who Christ is uh, throughout the book of 1 Peter, let me just read some to you. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, um, verse 22, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who just justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. Um, Chapter four, verse one. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions but for the will of God. My point is this. God has forgiven so much from me. God has forgiven me of so much. Now, I know that you want your pastor to be holier than all of you. Uh, Paul did not set that pattern. Paul said to the churches, I am the chief of sinners. And we can make an argument for some of the things that Paul had did, murder, but I think what Paul is saying is I recognize how much my sin causes my Savior to grieve. And I am so overwhelmed with His grace and mercy. God has forgiven you so much. Therefore, we have to be willing to forgive much of other people. You can't be forgiven much and then forgive little. In fact, Jesus had a whole parable about it. And the person in the parable who didn't forgive much ends up in hell in the parable. we have a list of things that people have to do to get back on our good graces, to be trusted again, to be loved again, to be accepted again. And there's so many in the people in the church that feel like they never fully belong because they're aware of their sin and you know about it. Yet there's so many people in the church that have the same sin that nobody knows about and they're fine hiding it so that their position doesn't get impacted. If we've been forgiven much, we have to forgive much. God has restored you to full participation in the family. How are you working to restore other people? God's restoration brings you in closer to him and it's hard, but we also have to be willing to love those who have hurt us. We've been talking a lot about reconciliation and I felt like um, it needed to be said again, um, because if we, we, like to, we like to check, I like to check things off my list. I read the restoration book, I did a bunch of stuff, and now, now I'm moving on to the n- next thing. But if you're like me, we need to keep coming back to restoration. And then finally, uh, centered on discipleship, not preaching. Uh, This is our mission. Uh, I'm certainly not against preaching, um, but here's the difference to me Uh, discipleship is service, it's showing up. It's intentionally showing our neighbors how much we care about them, it's hospitality and relationships, it's inviting people in, it's intentionally inviting our neighbors into our life, it's mission. It's intentional and in purpose. It's intentionally using our time, talents, and treasures. Those all came from our, um, our, our strategies, our ways that we want to, to accomplish mission in our church, making disciples through service, through hospitality, through mission. It's our pathways. And I, these, are, these are things to do. Now, look, are we going to have preaching in the church? Yeah. Um, are we going to have programs in the church? They they're just they're inevitable, policies yeah got to have them, traditions yeah they kind of they especially this time of year they start leaking out don't they, um. We're gonna have those things, but the center of what we do should be based on God's word. It should be reaching people. It should be loving people. It should be focused on being a blessing in our world that we live on. It should be centered on seeing people reconciled because we've been reconciled. It should be centered on discipling, moving people into a closer relationship with Jesus where they're giving all of their lives. And I don't know that we're ever going to quite fit in. And we all have our different brokenness. Um, I'm up here teaching and so I put my brokenness out there and you can all go home and pray for me. But I also know that there's so many broken people in our little church. Their families are broken. Their relationships are broken. Finances are broken. Their health is broken. They've been hurt by the church. Man, if I had a dollar for every time somebody said, I used to go to, it would have been like the inheritance thing at the beginning of the service. It's that many people. Listen, folks. Let's center on making sure we're living out the gospel, not that we're living out being Baptist or Whatever. Let's live this thing out. Let's put it out there for people to see. Here's some ways that we might really challenge ourselves this week. And I'll end with this. Went a little long, I apologize. Um, application and action. Here, here's one read. I, I'm, I'm constantly trying to get you to, to read through the church reading schedule or, or read your Bible on a daily basis. And we had this conversation in staff meeting. We were talking about, you know, some of the political things that are going on in our city and uh, some of the struggles some of our young people are having, um, you know, that comes on their cell phones and on their computers. And, and, I, and I said this. I said, first of all, I'm glad that I grew up before the Internet, just, just before. I, I really am. And I, and I say this with all honesty um you know i I had a lot of time as a young person where I was fairly unsupervised and i i, I would have been addicted. I would have been addicted um and I, I'm talking about porn that a lot of people are I, that would have been that would have just been such so i'm glad that that wasn't a part of my childhood or young part because it was i mean you know. Back in the day, they, you know, you had to go find it somewhere, and it was usually your friend right next door. But I'm just saying there's, just, there's so much stuff that's been inundating our young people, and I said they are getting that seven days a week. Some of them, every hour, they're getting indoctrinated. Not, not just porn, but po- politics, views, worldviews, all this, it's it's just all over. And then they come to church for an hour here and an hour there. Who's gonna win? But you know what? It's not just our young people. It's you. It's you. You're also inundated every day, every program, every book, every song. You are inundated with a totally different worldview. And if you are not fighting it with what God actually says, pretty soon we'll remove an ashram from the temple. And so we we have to be centered on God's word. You have to read it. If you are depending, if this is the only meal you're getting every week, you are starving. Now here's how I'm up in this challenge a little bit. Why don't you read it in public? And I mean old school. Like this, like in a book form. You say, oh, I read all the time in public. Yeah, off your phone. Nobody knows what you're looking at. Who cares if you're staring at a computer screen? I do this all the time. Now, you know, I'm addicted to Starbucks anyway. But I love reading in public places. And I, I, don't, I don't do the tiny Bibles because my eyes won't handle it anymore. It is pretty obvious what I'm reading. Now, look, I'm not trying. I'm also in a place where everybody's putting their political, you know, agenda on the hat, on the, you know, a pin. Look, I'm just, all I'm doing is just reading. That's all I'm doing. And if somebody asks me something, I'll answer a question. Now, I'm just going to, don't answer you say, well, I don't like going to those places. Just just think about this. Just make sure you're not doing it because you're ashamed of it. Or you're afraid to. And if you're not sure, then give it a try. Now, when I was a youth pastor, we used to try to get our kids to bring their Bibles to school. That was like the challenge. I don't know if they ever opened them, but, you know, hid them in their backpacks. Maybe it's time to put one back on your desk at work. Second give. what a, And I, you know, you guys have given so much, and you're generous to the Thanksgiving boxes that we're sending out. I think we have about between 12 and 15 um, that we're giving out and going on to different places and you guys are always generous, and I appreciate that, and thank you for that. But here's my challenge to you. Be generous to somebody in the body and somebody outside the body. Be generous. Now, I'm not just saying give the guy in the corner a dollar. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying find somebody that you know and are in relationship with that you can be generous to. And then finally, reconsider. Reconsider. Um, you know, we, we went through a lot of reconciliation last year, and so if there's anything that is left undone, then continue doing it. Um, you know, in here, I you know I write this, I think on my notes. What did I say? Centered on re- reconciliation, not relocation. Um, there's two ways that we re- relocate. We re- relocate churches. And we relocate relationships. In other words, we just kind of, I'm fine, just stay over there. Um, So my challenge to you is to think about how we live out this thing called being a follower of Jesus in a way that's identifiable. And um, I think, I I never heard a sermon on this, but the church that I grew up in we were trying to fit in so that we could have a place in society. And I want to say this. That was wrong. We don't fit in. We don't. And the moment that I start fitting in, I'm probably compromising. And so I have stopped trying to fit in, but I don't also want to make sure that I'm not hiding. Can we find a place where we are being such a follower of Jesus that somebody doesn't have to ask us if we are or not? Father, thank you for this morning and challenging in your word. Help us to apply it to our lives. Help us to forget the things that I have said, but to remember the things that you are saying through your spirit. Um, help us to have an identity that is based in you and in your word, not on a tradition or the things that we used to do. And help us to, to encourage one another in that. That's difficult. It's hard. Um, we're not saying that, you know, we did it wrong. We're saying that we tried to follow you the best we could, and we want to do better. So, Lord, help us to, to find ways to follow you in a way that, that is an example to Jesus Christ.